Welcome to the Water Tower Hour. I am your host, Tim Regan, Head of Business Development at Water Tower Research. In today's show, we're going to recap the ICR Consumer Conference that took place last week in Florida. To do this, I have two special guests joining me, Lynn Collier, the Head of Consumer Discretionary, and Doug Lane, the Head of Consumer Products at Water Tower Research. First, let's start with Lynn. Lynn, it's good to see you again, and thanks for coming back to the show. Thank you, Tim. So what do you what would you say your top takeaways are from the ICR conference as it relates to the restaurant industry? So last week we attended the ICR conference where we were able to meet with several private and public company restaurant management teams. In terms of themes, I thought one of the more interesting topics was around unit growth. Unit growth is expected to accelerate for restaurants in 2024. Uh, multiple companies noted the backdrop for unit development is improving with development costs stabilizing and permitting delays lessening. So I would expect the equity window for restaurants to actually open here in 2024, and I would anticipate seeing several IPOs. On a second subject, a uh, major discussion point was around restaurant demand and same-store sales. Um, the outlook for restaurant demand is somewhat mixed, however, most Companies expect guest traffic for the restaurants will continue throughout 2024 to be negative. Um, the reason for that outlook is the increase in supply, so the number of restaurants, and also the cumulative effect of aggressive menu pricing coming out of COVID-19. A, a final interesting topic was around technology. Um, digital transformation and automation continue to be a topic of discussion with most of the restaurant companies. As you probably know, the pandemic actually accelerated the adoption of digital technologies, and many companies showcased how they were leveraging data, analytics, AI, and the cloud in order to improve their customer experience and their operations. Hmm, that is interesting. I think I think it's wonderful to see that something good came out of COVID, at least. <laughs> yes. So maybe you can give us a little more of your perspective on recent food inflation trends and, and where you see things. So in December, the rate of year-over-year -year inflation in restaurants, which we classify as food away from home, actually outpaced inflation in the grocery channel. We classify that as food at home. Um, in December, this was the 10th consecutive month with the gap between the inflation indicators widening relative to November. So in essence, we continue to see risk that a continuation of relatively low inflation and grocery inflation could leave restaurants with less pricing power, number one, and may cause some marginal shift in demand away from restaurants, which is what we've seen historically. So when we see this sort of divergence where grocery inflation is below restaurant inflation, we typically see uh, the consumer move more toward grocery, which is a negative for restaurants in the intermediate term. Hmm. No, that's definitely interesting. It does make sense though in the end, right? It does. So yeah, so, so given the aggressive menu pricing, especially post COVID on at some of these restaurants that you're talking about, you know, what do you think restaurants are comfortable with here in, in 2024? So as many of you know, restaurants were extremely aggressive around pricing uh, post-COVID. So as we look at 2024, given these concerns around traffic trends, I think menu pricing will likely be much more conservative in 2024. 
I estimate price hikes probably in the low to mid single digit range for this year. Um, given that this mini pricing for restaurants was up, like I said, post COVID on a cumulative basis, about 25%, I think restaurant oh. companies will be a lot more conservative as we look at 2024. Interesting. Very interesting. So then when, what do you see as say the biggest cost headwind for the restaurant industry in 2024 that could maybe help drive some of the change? I think the single biggest headwind for the restaurant industry in 2024 will be the increases in the minimum wage in many states. Uh, this will weigh on margins, particularly for those companies with significant exposure to California. As we look at food costs, I, I think food costs will be relatively benign here in 2024, except for beef. So I think the line item to watch in 2024 will be labor. We estimate the minimum wages in nearly 30% of the country are going to be up at a high single digit clip. And there's another 12% of states, including California, which are seeing a 20 to 25% increase for restaurant minimum wage. So I do think food will be pretty benign this year, but as we look at labor, that's gonna be the, the most significant line item to watch. So let's close with my questions for you. Maybe, maybe tell us about, because you do have a same store sales survey uh, for casual diners that you've been sending out for, for a few weeks now. And what, what have you been seeing in, in recent weeks that is, is interesting? So we've had our casual dining um, same store sales survey since 2008. Um, so we've had this uh, survey a long time. It's been very predictable of restaurant same store sales. So in the last few weeks, as we look at, you know, the fourth quarter in particular, we've seen fairly stable comps um, if you exclude calendar shifts. So we estimate the same store sales in the fourth quarter were up in the low single digits with traffic down in the low single digits. However, most notable guest traffic for the casual diners in the fourth quarter was significantly better versus August and September, which I find very encouraging. So looking ahead, we are seeing evidence of a slowdown in January. However, that is not unexpected given a much more difficult year-over-year -year comparison. So once we're through this difficult lap situation that we're in now, and this will continue into early February, once we're through with these difficult laps, I would expect same-store sales to normalize, most likely in the low single-digit range, positive territory, but low single digits. And as I look at individual companies, I think the winners with respect to same-store sales in 2024 will be those companies with the best price value, the best innovation on the menu, and a compelling marketing message. Well said. Well said. Lynn, this is very insightful. Thank, thank you again for the time today. And we're going to go over to Doug next. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Doug, let's go to you next. Thank you for joining the show as well. Thanks, Tim. Good to be here. So from your perspective, what was the most important insight you came away from at the ICR conference? Yeah, I think that um, throughout the meetings that we held, uh, what was new to me was with the direct sellers and uh, the relationship with the, the Chinese regulatory authorities. It's been a tough five years for that group, beginning in 2019 with a 100-day crackdown on nutritional supplement companies. And then, of course, the whole pandemic, which started in 2020 and ran up through the better part of the next four years. So um, we know that the government um, 
finally uh, took off the COVID restrictions in the early part of 2023. But I think the news that I heard last week is that they're actually starting to encourage these companies uh, and, and be a force to help them succeed because they are in the health and wellness business, which is one that they favor. But more importantly, they provide an income opportunity and the economy there has been struggling, as we know, and unemployment's been rising, particularly youth unemployment. So I think we've seen a, 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 a tectonic shift in the regulatory environment from being um, hostile, if you will, for the last five years to one that's going to be encouraging. So um, hopefully that'll be reflected in better results as 2024 progresses. Absolutely. And it, when you think about potential political changes, it's always interesting. But I think for now, it, it does seem like it is becoming a more friendlier market for everyone. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, so you and I actually met with several health wellness companies last week. You know, what's what's the latest buzz in the category um, when you look at those companies that, you know, that are focused in that area? Yeah, there was a lot of talk about GLP-1 drugs, and a lot of these companies are getting involved with it. Um, Metafast had a big announcement, and, and what, what they're seeing is that they're embracing GLP-1. It was a disruptor initially because it was such um, a magic bullet, if you will, for weight loss. And, and so the traditional diet companies like a Metafast or a Weight Watchers or people like that have been struggling as, 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 as the GLP-1s have been coming into favor. So what they're doing, or at least Metafast talked about doing, is embracing the GLP-1, partnering with somebody in that business so that they can incorporate the drug into their diet regimen. Uh, but importantly, the, the diet regimen is, is a key part of that whole program. The two big issues with GLP-1 drugs are, one, uh, you gain the weight back after you go off of them, and, and two, you lose protein, body mass, muscle mass, the good stuff. So they are developing re supplement regimens to maintain uh, the good body mass as you take the drugs on the program and then come up with a supplemental regimen that can keep the weight loss off after you go off the programs. So there was a lot of talk about GLP-1 last week. Yeah, I mean, look, we, I could use, use some of that product as well. So I can't wait to see what happens over the next year with that. <laughs> I think it's it, it provides it's it's a good relationship because it's a good healthy alternative, not just the drug, but the drug helps with the overall regimen and, and uh, the changing of uh, just incorporating healthy habits into your lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you cover a fairly broad sector in consumer products, but are you know we're tending to focus on direct selling names these days. What are the key cross company themes um, that we're, you know we're discussing in that space, and what are you seeing? Yeah, I think the everybody continues to talk about uh, adopting an affiliate model. So, you know, the traditional direct sellers, you 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 become a sales leader, you build up a business with other sales leaders and you get a monthly commission check and you can make as much money as you as you're able to make depending on how successful you are and how much time and effort you want to put into them. But with the emergence of the gig economy, uh, the, the home side hustle has migrated to social media and the ability to make uh, you know, money very quickly in, in smaller increments. And so not everybody wants to be a millionaire. People just want to do this as supplemental income. You know, you drive an Uber for supplemental income a lot of times. And, and so what they've done is they've developed the software, they've developed the social media platforms, and they've changed the compensation plan to include a daily component. Uh, e even the product development at LifeVantage, for instance, they came up with a liquid collagen product 
this year that has really been uh, well received and very marketable on social media because you can use the product, demonstrate the difference through social media and get people interested. So um, that was literally across the board as far as the direct sellers were concerned. It's amazing how things have changed since COVID, right? It, it, in the last few years, uh, social media influence, especially when it comes to direct selling, really has been pushed that direction. Yes, that's right. And it's it's been accelerated for sure. So uh, any update on health and wellness trends, you know, let's say outside of that channel? Yeah, you know, we, we sat in on a meeting with um, Jameson Wellness, which is a Canadian company. It's a little off the radar for U.S. investors. It's a big company, but it's a little off the radar because um, their biggest market is Canada uh, and, and they're headquartered in Toronto. But their three biggest markets where they sell products are Canada, U.S. and China. Uh, which are all important direct selling markets. And, and the news there is they're showing pretty good organic growth. And they're mostly mass club store kind of a marketing channel. So it's a different channel than direct sellers. But as far as a gut check on the whole health, wellness, nutrition category, uh, they certainly had a good story to tell. And, and the numbers there look pretty good to me. So that's encouraging as well for most of these direct selling companies, I think. I think the category is still very much in favor. And um, it's just a question of, of them getting their specific strategies aligned and, and prepared for growth going forward. I mean, one company I talked to is, you know, the whole group's been struggling, but one company is looking to have an investor day later this year. So what does that tell me? It tells me that they think the groundwork is being laid for improving trends. They want to get out and tell their story. And it tells me they think anyway, at least here in January of 2024, that they're less than a year away from being able to tell a better story. Yeah, we'll definitely have to uh, circle back on this one, and, you know, mm -hmm. say at the end of the year or early next year and see how things stand after maybe the next conference, too. Exactly. Things change, as you know, but it's, it's encouraging to hear again. Yeah. And, and in closing, you know, what should investors focus on if they want to start doing some work on these names for investment? Yeah, I think uh, it's time to start checking in. Like I said, I, I, you know, I sense that we're nearing an inflection point in the in the fundamentals here. I'm hearing things on the margin that sound fairly encouraging, and, and even companies like Life Vantage, the, or the numbers already coming through. The other ones maybe not so much. But uh, if we are if we're right and we are near a bottom there, now's a good time to do the work because our relative our valuation work for the group that we have going back to the late 1990s shows relative valuations for the stocks at generational lows. So the the the, the and rightfully so the fundamentals have been have been struck struggling here, and so I get that. But the thing is that's exactly where you want to start doing the work is when it's off the radar screen and nobody's paying attention. And I think that's where we are with the group. Thank you. So, Doug, these, these were great viewpoints. Thank you again for coming to the show today. Thanks, Tim. Uh, you can find all of Doug and Lynn's research at watertowerresearch.com. Click on the company's sectors tab. Uh, click on the sectors tab and scroll down to consumer products or consumer discretionaries tab. Uh, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of Water Tower Research, LLC, aka WTR, and are provided for informational purposes only. The Water Tower Hour may not be distributed or reproduced without written consent of Water Tower Research and should not be considered research nor recommendation. WTR is an investor relations firm, not a licensed broker, broker-dealer, market maker, investment bank, underwriter, or investment advisor. Additional disclaimers can be found at watertowerresearch.com.